Good morning. How is everyone? Good. We had a great foundations conference yesterday and Friday. Um, I asked a few people to share about what the Lord was teaching them uh, at the foundations conference. So um, I'm going to have them come up. Um, It doesn't really matter the order, but I'm going to have Steve Sanders start that. As he's coming, our our Foundations Conference is an opportunity for us to focus on a biblical topic, and we bring in different speakers from the outside to to hit certain points on that topic. So this year's theme was discipleship. It's what we're going through in our life groups as well. And so we had different speakers and different pastors come and share Friday evening and Saturday. So... Okay, so uh, I paid Mike $20 so I could go first and nobody would get what I wanted to say. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Before I share that, I'm going to say something real quick about, you you know, this was uh, some tremendous speakers, a lot of great information to teaching and discipling this weekend. The problem with that is you can get overwhelmed. You know, there's so much stuff, and, and each one of those speakers was so deep you get to the point where you really don't know where to start, so you end up doing absolutely nothing, right? So uh, one thing I've learned, I've gone to these type of things over over my years. I've been to prayer conferences, evangelism conferences, uh, revivals, uh, stuff at work, and, and your mind just gets so filled and you don't know what to do. So this morning, I took all my notes and I went down and I said, what one thing did I get from this speaker? What one thing? And I put that in a special section, kind of a follow-up to the, the paper they handed out yesterday. And the one thing I got from each speaker is probably not the one thing you got from that speaker because you're in a different place than I am. But I encourage you to go do that and look at that and see what God wants you to do about it. So what one thing am I going to share this morning? Uh, it was very difficult to pick out the one thing. Uh, but, but probably the one thing that you ever had a face slap in church? You ever had a face? I had a face slap, and it started early with Pastor Mike's uh, when he started Friday night. He was doing pretty good, right? And he gets down to the end. He said, I want you to list three people who most influenced your spiritual development, okay? There was absolutely no question in my mind, Richard Smith, Phil Swearingen, David Vaughn. No doubt in my mind who they, who they were. <clears throat> uh, you've heard of one. You've not heard of the other two. Um, so, uh, I started thinking about it and as Joe Braden was talking about discipling, maturing believers, these three men, I could see how they discipled me. It was like an inverse wedding cake. Richard Smith was my youth pastor when I was in junior high and high school. And he taught me this much, right? So I went from nothing really to this much. And then Phil Swearingen came to my church in Mississippi when I was in college and Phil broadened out. The next layer was a lot bigger, okay? And uh, one of the biggest blessings because of Phil is, is Sandy. We met through him. And the stuff Phil taught me was unbelievable. And I left there in 1981, and in 2001, I came here about 20 years later. And, and David Vaughn has taught me, like, the size of this room, okay? And, and as, as I look at it, you know, I was thinking about that, and, and that was okay, but then Mike could not leave it alone. He had to ask one more question or make one more comment. He said, take one of those three people and draw a line through them and say, what am I lacking if they had not influenced me? And I went, wow. I can't imagine being here where I am in this life 
if I'd not had any one of those three men influencing my life. That was my face slap, right? That was my face slap. And he said, one person's influence can be so powerful. So the question, and then I have to ask myself the question, what am I doing? Who am I influencing? And, you know, I'm going to confess, I made a, a, a commitment to Sandy to disciple somebody when we started our discipling book. I read the book before we ever got started because it was so good. And so I, I've got to do that. And so God brought me to the place where, you know, I've got to do something. And so I hope you guys, you know, have got something out of that too. But that's what the Lord showed me, uh, uh, the face slap in the uh, conference. All right. So um, I thought the conference was really good. I enjoy each year being a part of it. Um, and if you haven't been able to be a part of it in the past, I encourage you, even though it's a whole 364 days away that you, 63 days away that you uh, put that on your calendar, it's generally like the same weekend. Um, I have very specific words, so I wanted to read them from my phone real quick. The Lord used Joe Braden, Pastor Joe Braden's message to confirm a lot of things in my life on Friday night. He talked about discipling and what it took and practically what it looked like. And he really confirmed in my life that I was doing the right things. Um, and then he also challenged me as well. Throughout the whole conference, I was reminded that this life is not about me. And for me, as well as everyone else in this room, because we're all fallible, sinful human beings, that's a hard pill to swallow, to be reminded that it's not about us, and it's not about what we want, our desires, um, because we're really selfish people. I personally have a difficult time feeling empathy, giving grace, and being patient with people. And you might wonder how I became a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think in general, I, I always have enough from like eight to three of those things for the kids, but then the Lord calls me to also show empathy and give grace and be patient with people outside of that seven thirty to three thirty time frame, And that's where I struggle. It's because I give it enough for my job and I'm like, Oh, this is all that's required of me. Um, the Lord says, no, like you need to be continually pouring out, um, outside of that. Um, and all of that does not give me a, it doesn't give me a pass from discipling just because I'm not good at something or because I struggle with something. Um, and it doesn't also, thankfully, discredit me from making an impact uh, for others. And instead makes me rely more heavily on the Holy Spirit to develop in me what is not natural to my personality. Um, really what is simply characteristic of my flesh, of which I need to rid myself every day. The act of discipling is so outside my desires that it calls me to recognize any impact I can make on others comes from the Holy Spirit alone. And so I'm very thankful that this conference enabled me to remember that this life is not about me. I can have an impact through um, my natural tendencies that are more sinful than others um, and that uh, God can still use me uh, to impact others. And then whatever impact I make, it's really from the Holy Spirit alone. Hi. <laughs> um, so I really liked Diane's talk to just the women. I actually really liked that, um, where you split up the men and the women, because I think there was things that we both needed to hear. And I know Chris really enjoyed Perry, so that was, like, really good for us. Um, it kind of felt like hers was she wrote it just for me to hear, 
because <laughs> she was talking, it, guys, if you don't know, it's, it's not good for a man to be alone. And her tagline was, why the man in your life needs you more than you think. We were talking about strength of women. And, well, you guys know Chris. He's a lot quieter than I am, a lot more reserved, and a lot less stubborn. And I'm complete opposite. <laughs> so sometimes it is really hard for me as a wife stepping on his toes and trying to let him do his thing. Um, I know Diane was saying she kind of grew up in a household where you learn to take care of yourself. And that's exactly how I grew up. Not that my parents were preparing me how to live without a husband, but my dad's like, he's a doomsday prepper. That tells you anything. So he wants me prepared to take care of myself. So I, (laughs) I've always really had that strong will of like, I can take care of myself. Like, and as a millennial as well, we are told constantly, like, you don't need a man. You go on Twitter, there's jokes about men being trash. Like, we really hate our men. <laughs> and that's not fair to you guys. Um, and I think that happens with my generation because we are trying to tell ourselves, like, we don't need men. They don't need us. Like, they do all these things without us, which is not true, which is what she was saying. Because um, she was saying, like, our strength is very different from yours, where... Like, my husband does need, like, things from me. Like, I'm a little bit more vulnerable than he is. I cry all the time. (laughs) Um, And there is, like, we we talked about Esther, and she was saying there was a willingness to sacrifice and bravery. Like, you know, women can be brave, and they can do it in a biblical way. Because the big thing that she was saying was she was determined to be obedient to God, which I really liked especially too, because with fellow millennials, I get them asking me all the time, like, how can you love the Bible? How can you read it? It hates women. It talks down on women and all this stuff. And the one thing that I'm like really excited that I get to go back and say is we were talking about Eve and what they like said about her. I know Tammy and I were like, we don't like that word. (laughs) I had a blast sitting next to you, by the way. Um, But she translated to the Hebrew. You might have to help me. Hebrew is not my thing. Uh, Ezer Koneg. Ezer Konegdo, um, which if you translate that, it's sustainer alongside. And she was saying, besides when it's talking about Eve, it says it 20 times in the Bible, and it's referring with God, because she was saying, like, we are created in the image of God together. And I even re-went over Genesis this morning, like, because I knew I was going to come up here, so I'm like, re-going over that, and I just totally changed the perspective. Not that I ever thought that I wasn't, I guess, equal to God as a man is, but sometimes it felt like that because I think I was misinterpreting, not I think, I was misinterpreting it because that wasn't the spirit interpreting it for me. And so I really like this a lot because she just made me feel like, you know, I, I can be a good wife to my husband. I can let him do things. I don't have to do every single thing because, like, he needs me in ways that I don't need him, but I need him in ways that he doesn't need me. And so she asked this question, if you weren't there, ladies, or if you just need a reminder, um, who are the men in your life that you do to believe in them? And like, I really wrote that down. And she was saying, like, it doesn't have to be your husband. It can be your brother, your children, your coworkers or anything. And I just thought, like, you know, I could do a better job. Not that I'm tearing down men, (laughs) but I could do a better job building you guys up because there's ways that my husband builds me up as a wife and God didn't make me quiet for a reason so I could go out and tell all the other millennials men aren't trash. All right.
was perfect because as she's talking about the women, my favorite part was when Perry talked to the men and brought a, a message to me that really touched my heart. Um, honestly, it, it's hard for me because I struggle in so many different ways um, as a husband, as a father, with trying to connect to my family. Um, you probably can't tell, sometimes I get frustrated easily, and really easily, especially with a, a 10-month-old at the house. Um, and when Perry was talking, he basically said to me, um, not to me, but to all the men, um, we have to have that desire to fight for what we believe in. And as men, we have to, we want to protect our families. We, we want to have that innate ability that if somebody comes for our family, that we're going to give it our all. Um, and the one thing he kind of made me snicker at is he, he asked all of us men, he said, can you make your wife submit? And I, I slow laughed. I said, you must not know my wife. <laughs> like, seriously, you don't know Tammy. Um, so <laughs> he asked that question. I'm talking to my wife this morning. And she, was, she asked me, she said, because we went out last night for dinner, and um, she had some ice cream. She said, why didn't you make me stop eating that dairy? And I said, okay, I learned this yesterday. Can I make you submit? And she said, she said, no, but she brought up a key point to me, um, and that's why I'm saying this to you. And she said, no, but we need to learn how to submit to one another, and I understand that. And I'm like, man, this, 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 why wasn't this, this easy yesterday when, I, when he asked that question, <laughs> you know? And it, 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 it held true to my heart just knowing that, no, yeah, I can't make Tammy submit, but we are called to submit to one another. And that was a key point yesterday for me. But then on another note, he, the importance of men, all right? This is a key stat he brought up, and this hit home as much as anything. 93% of families where the father becomes saved first, the majority of the families become saved. And he, he, he inverted it and said, if the mother becomes saved first, only 17% of the whole entire family is saved. That showed me how important men are in this world. And we as fathers, as husbands, um, and I'm just, I'm even talking, to, thinking about my sons, both of them. I need to be raising them to be able to prepare their families and to know God and to bring God to their family. Um, because men, we're important in this life, and we need to know that our value lies within not only what we're doing and what we're saying. As Pastor Laurent said, it's not what we say, but it's about what we do. We need to be teaching our families that men so I encourage all men, and I enjoyed the Foundations Conference. And like Laura said, I'm looking forward to next year's conference. Mark Smith. Good morning. And so... There were a lot of things, and you know, some of them for me, uh, been 
we've been going through the life group books on discipleship, and then the conference was on discipleship, and so there's been a lot of things on my mind about that first. But then it was interesting. We also then had Justice kind of interrupt that with his talks on Revelation. But so often these kind of things aren't by accident. And so for me, as we're thinking about what things we've been learning about discipleship, but then also how does this part from Revelation tie in? And, you know, he was talking about in Revelation, well, you've, you've lost your first love. And well, at the beginning of a lot of people's journeys with Christ, there is discipleship. Somebody points you to something or encourages you towards something. And I know for me, I had those people that were on that list that, that uh, Steve mentioned. You know, I had my three and... Um, and it was kind of a similar uh, thing where there was there was one guy that was there like at the beginning and he's not around anymore and I don't really see him as much and then there were some some other guys that were that are still around but you know that have different roles and you know then so I was thinking about that like okay so when when I was with that and learning from that first guy like what were the things I was doing at first and he was real big on discipleship. And, um, you know, I, I thought, well, where I was at at the time, it was really easy. I had all these coworkers that didn't know Jesus, that, and they would, I'd get to work with all these people, and then they'd see I would go on vacation to go to Belize and do these mission trips, and they'd ask questions. And so it was really easy to talk about it. But then if you think about some of the things I said about the maturing believers, you grow and you, and you get more and you push more. But as you do that, the things that you have to do, you have to sometimes maybe go more out of your way to reach those people. If Paul had just stayed around Jerusalem, you know, and the other apostles were in Jerusalem, it wouldn't have gotten anywhere near Spain or Rome or any of those places. So he had to go farther, and there were a lot of shipwrecks and accidents and things along the way, and he had to take those sacrifices and make those sacrifices to get to those places so he could disciple more people when the people that he was already discipling we're able to be passed off to the next person on the list. And so sometimes I think about that and, and where I'm at now. There's not a whole lot of people at the job I'm at now. And my family is starting to all be involved in their church again. And um, so there's not a whole lot to do there. And so... I have to really go outside of where I'm normally at and really reach out into the community in order to get those opportunities to do those kinds of things. And, and as well, the church being the main part of discipleship. You know, there's some of you I've gotten to know really well over the years, especially if you've gone to Belize with me and any of these, like, 11, 12 trips... <laughs> Um, gotten to know some of you really well. Um, others of you, I barely barely know at all. And, uh, you know, so for me, one of the, the convicting things was that, um, you know, if we're, if we're saying that we are children of the Father, we are brothers and sisters, then, you know, how well do I really know my family? And 
if the discipleship starts and emanates from the church, you know, I need to focus on developing and, and building those relationships. There's a lot I can learn from probably some of the things that those guys taught Steve, you know, that maybe I could learn something from. So maybe I should go hang out with Steve sometime, you know, and ask him about those guys and what was such a big deal to him about them, you know. Even though I'm completely in a different life situation, I'm still younger, single guy. Steve's married. He's got grand, uh, grandkids now, right, Steve? And, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a different situation, but even so, even so, you know. So just a lot of those kind of thoughts as I've been going through the conference and hearing the different speakers. And, and yeah, so just encourage you guys to, to step outside your normal kind of relationships and contexts and um, and that way when you are put in those situations with people outside the church then then you can draw on those experiences or point them towards somebody else and invite them in and say hey well I don't really know what this is like but I know like 20 other people in, in the church maybe some of them do and so then together we can really as the body better disciple the people that we encounter Good job. <clears throat> that was encouraging. Thank you, everybody, for sharing. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray before we get into the word. Lord, we do thank you for the different speakers this past weekend at the Foundations Conference. We thank you for putting men and women in our lives that pour into us and build us spiritually that are used by you to help mature us in the faith. And Lord, I ask that each one of us now would have your heart on this issue. And Father, we thank you for your word, that that's where we can turn. We thank you that it is truth. God, open up our eyes to see the truths of your scripture today. And uh, give us um, your truths, Lord, that we might act on them. Let us see them so that we can put them into action. And Father, we pray that uh, your word would go forth today, not just here, but in pulpits across this land, that it'd be faithful preaching of the word, and that, um, <clears throat> God, you would be lifted up high. We thank you for the different people that even make this service happen, uh, worship team, sound guys, ushers, deacons, um, everyone's playing a part, God, everyone's being a part of the body, and I thank you for them, God, and I ask your blessing upon them. May we endeavor uh, to be the body together for your glory. Amen. All right, we're picking it back up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the last time I spoke, we looked at verse 3. I want to pick it up again. Because Paul is commending the Thessalonians for three things. And he commends them in verse 3 for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. And we talked about how that's the, the trio 
of virtue, that over and over and over again in the New Testament, you see those three virtues uh, extolled and expounded upon. So last time we looked at the work of faith. This week, we're going to look at the labor of love. Notice those two put together, though, in verse 3. It's the work of faith and the labor of love. Now, work and labor, those are similar words, right? I mean, pretty close. We could use some fancy words here, but I won't. Um, They have similar meanings. Not exact meanings, but similar meanings. And while faith is working, what's love doing? It's laboring, right? So what's the difference? Well, it's interesting. When Paul talks about people and what they do for the kingdom, he doesn't use the normal Greek word for work, which would be ergon. He uses a different one. And he uses it here, and he uses it in a couple other places as well. I want you to see those, because it's really going to tie in to help us understand uh, the full meaning of this word. Look at Romans Chapter 16. Keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians because we're coming back. This is at the very end of Romans. He's given basically personal greetings. Romans is a letter, so he writes it and he's wrapping it up and he's sending greetings to different people within the church at Rome. Look at what he says in verse 6. Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. He gives her a commendation for the work that she's done. Now, think about that just for a second. This is really almost a side note. Like, because of her hard work, she gets encapsulated in the scriptures. Right? She gets a shout-out, so to speak. And here it is, 2,000 years later, whoever this Mary is at Rome, she worked hard, and Paul wanted to encourage her in that. But it's not just, it's not just work. It was what type of work that she was doing. It was uh, a work that she worked hard at. So she was faithful. She toiled at it. Look a few verses later. He says a similar thing. Greet those workers in the Lord. I'm in verse 12. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Again, the idea is is not just like a a, a general type of work. This is work that they're doing for the Lord. Colossians says something similar. Chapter 4. Verse 12 Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So every time, worked hard, worked hard, worked hard. The idea behind this word is strenuous activity, hard work toil, laborious work, intense work. In other words, it's not mindless work that you can easily do. There's a challenge to it. It's work and it's real work. So when we talk about this labor of love, you could say a work of love. I mean, what does that mean? Because you hear people say that even today. Oh, that that was a real labor of love that that person had. 
It's your labor prompted by love. Your labor prompted by love. So the idea is because you love that person, you do the work. Because you love your church, you do the work. Because you love Jesus, you do the work. It's a labor prompted by love. Now, do you really want to love people? Guess what? That's work. It doesn't come easy. You really want to love the Lord? It's work. It doesn't come easy. Two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the thing. When you get saved, there's not some little magic wand that's waved over you making living your life super easy all of a sudden. You're still you. So there's a lot of work to be done. Now, you do have the Holy Spirit. And he's filling you. And he empowers you to love these people. In fact, if, 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 if he didn't, it, it wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't be possible to truly love people, to love them like Jesus loved them. This doesn't come secondhand, though. I remember when I first got saved, sometimes the Lord's gracious and he just, he just takes things out of your life just like that. Okay? If you got saved later in life, you know. Uh, what I'm talking about. And one of the first things, probably the very first thing he took uh, away from me was, was my pouty mouth. All right? And it was just like, it was gone overnight. All those filthy words I used to say, just gone. It was just gone. And I remember one time, <clears throat> I cringe to think about it still, but my mom uh, was around some of my friends, and I told some crass joke in her presence with my friends. I wasn't a believer at the time. I wasn't even ashamed at the time. That, that's how seared my conscience had become, that I would even do that in, in the presence of my mom. And then looking back, I was like, what in the world was I thinking? Here I was thinking I was all great to be able to tell such a crass joke in my mom's presence and not even feel bad about it. It really showed the depth of where my heart was truly at. So, you know... God doesn't wave that magic wand, but we do have the spirit in us. He, you know, a lot of times we got to be careful because we talk about, Lord, give me the strength, which we need to pray that. But we also have to remember he's really already given us the strength. Okay. So when we're praying that, we're really saying, Lord, give me and remind me that I do have that strength. Bring that up within me. Fill me with your spirit because I do have that strength. So any, any temptation you got, uh, any sin you're struggling with, like God really has empowered you to overcome that. He already has. Now, do you need someone walking with you to help you get through that? Yeah, usually. Usually. Do you need someone praying with you? Do you need someone holding you accountable? Sure. God uses different people in our lives. That's discipleship, right? He uses those people to help us out. But if you have the spirit of God in you, then you can have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things, right? If you got that, and you do, if, you, if you're a believer, or you should, right? But if you're a believer, that, that's the fruit that should be just like coming out of you. Every little pore you got should be pouring out. And so when we're walking with the Lord, and sometimes we, we say something like, well, I don't, I don't love that person. Well, I talk with people struggling in their feelings towards, towards other people. I've struggled with my feelings towards other people. You get burned sometimes real bad. 
someone hurts you real bad, especially, you know, the better you know that person, the closer you are to that person, like the more damage they can do, right? So you get burned. Well, listen, you you don't have to like certain people, but you, you do have to love them. I mean, think about it. Jesus told us to love our enemies. Love our enemies. So enemies are, yeah, are people that have burned us, that have hurt us, that have done just atrocious things, bad things, things we wouldn't even want to name. So you don't have to like them, but you do have to love them. You don't have to agree with them, but you do have to love them. You don't have to be buddy-buddy with them, but you do have to love them. And here's the thing, friends, a biblical love. When you show a biblical love towards people, towards friends, acquaintances, family, enemies, that biblical love sets you apart from the world. It really does. John talks about that, right? They'll know you're Christians by your love. That because that biblical love is not possible apart from Jesus. It's just not. That biblical love is not possible apart from the Spirit of God filling you from top to bottom. But when you have the Spirit, you can have a biblical love towards others. It's one of the marks that you're a believer. Think about that. And what do we see about love? One thing clear I want you to see. It has action to it. Love has action to it. Uh, It's not just like sitting in the corner doing nothing. Biblical love takes action. Think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world, guess what? That he actually did something about it. Right? He saw the world, all its sinfulness, all its problems, all its issues, and he acted. He acted. So biblical love takes action. Biblical love works. Now examples abound of men and women who've had a labor of love for God's people. One example I'll tell you, I like church history. Tertullian, he was born around 200 AD. Okay? Goes back a few years. In the city of Carthage, and he was born a member of the educated classes. In fact, a lot of people think he might have been a lawyer because of his writings being so scholarly. So he gained a good education. Life in his times really wasn't much different than life in modern times. He indulged his passions as he saw fit. And like everyone else, he attended the games where gladiators killed each other. But among the sights he saw was that of Christians also being executed this way. And he was struck with the courage with which these uneducated, contemptible slave men and little slave girls faced a hideous death. And it struck a note with him. So he decided to look into it. And lo and behold, God saved him. And turned his talents in writing to defend this group of despised and victimized people, the Christians. He was actually the first church theologian to write in Latin, to which I say, benefactum, well done. But his writings literally saved hundreds, probably thousands of people from death, believers. Why? Because he defended the Christian faith and he tried to explain it to unbelievers in a way that made sense of the different actions that they were taking. Uh, One of the actions against them was that they were cannibals. 
Why? Because when you think about the Lord's Supper, right? Take this body and eat it. Take the blood, drink it. So if you weren't really familiar with that and you kind of heard that, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's cannibalism. They were uh, accused of being incestuous. I mentioned it the other night. Why? Because, you know, you're, you're, you're calling your wife your sister in Christ. That's my sister, right? So they thought of him as incestuous. He set the record straight on this and other things. And he was actually, when it came to the Trinity, a lot of people call him, believe this or not, the first Protestant. Seriously. Why? Because he was unafraid to go against certain uh, church authorities if they were teaching unbiblical things. So he would stand up. In fact, when the Trinity start, started to get attacked, um, he wrote this book, still read today, uh, defending the Trinity and really giving it um, key words that we use today, including our word Trinity. So many consider him the first Protestant. He wasn't afraid to stand against unbiblical teaching. Friends, he had a labor of love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He had a labor of love for the church, and he had a labor of love for his Lord and Savior, Jesus. His influence was profound. One theologian from back then said he never went a day without reading him and called him, in terms of his writings, the master. Just three centuries later, he was referred to as the first, the best, and the incomparable. He was well-known. He was a great defender of the Christian faith and made sure the faith was passed on to others. Even his writings themselves warmed up unbelievers to Christianity. So it was men like him who had a labor of love for God and for his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, he still impacts people today through his writings. Like 1,800 years later, he's still speaking to people. Now think about his labor of love. What did he do? He used what was available to him. He used what was at his disposal. Even Paul, here in 1 Thessalonians... I mean, he has a labor of love for the churches that God puts him over, including the Thessalonian church. Think about his labors of love regarding them. He labors in, in hope of a better outcome. False doctrine enters a church. What does he do? He labors in love to address it. He loves God too much to let it go. He loves his brothers and sisters too much to let false doctrine go. Sin enters the church. What does Paul do? He addresses it, right? He labors in love to deal with it. He loves God too much to let it go. And he loves his church too much to let it go. He even labor, labors with roadblocks and difficulties. Think about the travel difficulties. Someone mentioned it earlier when we were sharing. The travel difficulties. I mean, we, we, we complain if we get stuck at an airport for like a day. Right? Or if our car gets stuck in the snow and we had to wait for a tow truck. I mean, he was stuck on a ship for weeks and weeks. I mean, he truly had travel difficulties. But what was his response? I mean, I was thinking about this as I was, as I was preparing this. I mean, all, the, all these difficulties, 
and God has him going to Rome. He knows he's supposed to go to Rome. What, does he take all those difficulties and say, oh, I, I guess I'm not supposed to go to Rome? I mean, think about that. All these challenges and roadblocks, but, but he knew the course that God had sent him on. So he was not deterred on his way for God's calling on him. He knew God called him to Rome. He was supposed to go work through the obstacles, work through the hardships. He also labored in love by speaking hard truths when soft answers would be so much easier to give. I mean, it's always easy to give whatever answer people want to hear. And probably all of us are guilty at some point of doing that. We don't want to face the conflict. We don't want to deal with the, the brush back. We don't want to deal with the hurt feelings. We don't want to deal with the lost relationships. Uh, we don't want to deal with the, 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 the strife and the pressure. We just, so we, just, we just give the easy answer. We just give the easy answer. That's not love, though. That's not love at all. So he speaks the, the hard truth. Think, think of what he says. Look at Galatians 4. I want you to see this. He says in Galatians 4, verse 11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I mean, that's how much he loved them. And then here he is heartbroken. Why? Because, I mean, read Galatians. What happens? Error creeps into the church. Sin creeps into the church. All these different things. And he's addressing it, though. And he expresses concern for them. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You know, Pastor Joe made an interesting point uh, when he spoke Friday night. Maybe you missed it. Uh, he said the word disciple, that word doesn't appear outside the gospel and acts. Doesn't appear. And even, even the verb form, make disciples, it doesn't appear outside of the gospel and acts. You think about that. Like, we're called to be disciples, right? It's not even mentioned outside of it. But why is that? Well, it's really what, what Pastor Joe already said. Like, those books that we have, the New Testament, those are, it's like a discipleship manual. It's showing us, step by step, how to be a disciple. So it's given us instruction on all sorts of different areas. And, and what was the command that Jesus gave? Teaching them to what? Obey, right? Teaching them to observe. What's Paul doing in his letters? He's not just teaching them doctrine. He's teaching them how to obey the doctrine, right? So when you're instructing them, when you're working with someone, you're not just trying to impart knowledge to them. That's good. You want to do that. But you also want to make sure that the heart is being tended to as well. Okay? Head knowledge, heart knowledge. We, want, we don't just want facts. We want transformation. We don't just want information up here. We want it working its way down and working its way out. <clears throat> One of the challenges, well, let me just share this. You know, when I was growing up, uh, they didn't sell alcohol on Sunday. You guys remember that? You remember, like, you'd go to the store. If my mom even, like, let us go to the store on Sunday because that was, like, even taboo kind of. You just didn't do much. 
<laughs> but you'd go to the store and you'd walk by the, the alcohol aisle. You remember what they'd like, what would be there? Like a little gate or something. Sometimes like two little things with a chain across it. So you, you, you couldn't get down there. So they'd have these gates put up blocking you from going down it. Um, here's what I want to encourage you with. It might be more of a rebuke, actually. <laughs> um, I feel like we've got, those, we've got those gates up in the store, okay? But we don't have it in the alcohol aisle. Maybe we should, I don't know. But anyway, um, <clears throat> we have it in the, in the produce aisle. Because that's, that's the fruit aisle. And I feel like God wants us to be fruitful. And we're okay with a couple figs here or a couple dates there. And so, you know, if, if just for the illustration, like the, the Holy Spirit's like the store, right? And, and, and we're not going down that fruit aisle. It's, it's gated. And I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like some of us have the Holy Spirit in chains. Just think about that for a second. You got the Holy Spirit in chains. So you got the Holy Spirit, but you, you kind of got him handcuffed. Right? Because it's, it's uh, the fruit. Whose fruit is it? It's the spirits, right? It's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of you, not the fruit of me. It's the fruit of the spirit. And and what happens when you when you bind, when you bind a person when they're handcuffed when they're locked up? Can they do much? No, they really can't. They're locked up, right? They're incarcerated. I think some of us are guilty of that. It's like we got the Holy Spirit in handcuffs, and he want, he wants to be bearing not not just a little tiny bit of fruit but much fruit, right? That, that whole produce aisle, right? Not just the banana, right, when you walk in the store, but that, that whole produce aisle he wants, that, that's what he wants for us, bearing much fruit. So don't get me wrong here. I'm not talking emotionally, all right? I'm not talking your passionate display. I'm not talking your vigil display during worship, okay? I mean, we want those things, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about bearing fruit in your life as a believer of Jesus Christ. Okay? Not inside these walls, but, but outside the walls. Really both. Okay? But not just for the hour and a half here on Sunday, but the other days of the week, whether you're here or elsewhere. God wants us to bear much fruit. And to bear fruit, friends, will be a labor of love. It will take work. And, and some of you have been content with, with lazy Christianity. That's true. So, you know, you grew, you grew a tiny little bit this past year. Just a tiny little bit. Or, or maybe not at all. But God wants you to grow and grow and grow. And, and do you think God wants you just, you know, a little tiny bit? A little tiny bit. No, like when you talk about and read the scriptures, I mean, God talks about feasts, Right? Not just like a little, little uh, sip of water. Not a little, little uh, morsel of, of an apple slice or fish or something like that. Like feasts, right? 
So when God talks about uh, bringing in the harvest, right? It's not like it's not like you're just bringing in just a tiny little bit. Like you're bringing in the harvest. But it's the same with the spirit. Like the the only limit you're placing on the spirit is the limit you yourself place. You can be super, super, super fruitful. And God wants you to grow and grow and grow. And listen, the Holy Spirit's not holding you back. Okay? You're holding the Holy Spirit back. If you want to grow, you got to take off those handcuffs from him. If you want to be fruitful, you got to take off those handcuffs. So, Lord, I want to be fruitful. Well, guess what, friends? Start with Galatians. Do you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? That, I mean, that's where you should start. Do you have that? Like, I want you to have that. I want you to have that. Because when you're there, that is the fruit. And guess what? Someone that's completely surrendered to God in that way, and the fruit is abundant in them and abundant in them, Man, God is going to use them mightily. He is going to use them powerfully. Are you all hearing me? So I I want the fruit, and I want the fruit for you. And I want you to want the fruit. But, but, that, but at the end of the day, that has to come from you. I was thinking the other day about a certain person who's been struggling in their faith. And I was like, man, what can I do to help them out? What can I do? I mean, I can pray. Yeah, I need to, and I have been. But how can I help them out? Like, I want them to turn things around. And I can pray, I can encourage, I can exhort, right? All those things. But at the end of the day, they have to make that decision. It's on them. And at the end of the day, you have to make the decision. Jesus said, I came that you might have what type of life? Abundant life. That's what he wants. Okay? That doesn't mean it's going to be a party every day. That doesn't mean streamers are going to be falling down. doesn't mean it's going to be all easy. But abundant. Abundant. Friends, <clears throat> handcuffs, chains... That's not our destiny. That's not our future state. That's not our current condition. All right, that's the condition of the demons when you think about it. Jude 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper join, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So let's not just be content with a couple apples here, a few grapes over there. God wants abundant fruit. We got it spelled out for us in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. That will work its way out in our own lives, in our family's lives, in our church lives. All right, you start doing that, you're going to be exponential growth. God's going to be doing some amazing stuff through you. We're going to be a part of it. We're going to be blessed by it. For freedom, Galatians says, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This means we've got to stay on mission. Right? You can have, you know, they, they coined that term years ago with one of the wars in the 90s, you know, mission drift. And we can have mission drift in the church, too. Right? We, we, we think this is a good thing, and we, all of a sudden, oh, we kind of just tail away. So we've got to stay on mission. 
for what God's called us to do as believers, to seek him, to serve him, to minister to others. You guys with me? Let's pray. Father, we ask for your forgiveness where we've fallen short for not loving others, for not caring about others, for not wanting to minister to others. Forgive us, Lord, where sometimes we've looked more like the world than your son. Lord, you are so gracious that if we but come to you and ask, you restore us. Like a father to a child, you restore us. So, Lord, I pray for us here that might need forgiveness, that might need restoration, that you'd give us hearts of repentance. And restore us, Lord. And Father, I pray for each person here that we would bear much fruit. Much fruit. And you say the harvest is plentiful. Well, let us go into that harvest, God, and bear much fruit. We acknowledge we can't do it without you. We ask that you would go before us and pave a way, that you would work in us and through us for your good pleasure. We want people to see the love that we have. And be drawn to that because it's your love. Father, we ask you to continue to have your way with us, to mold us, to shape us to be a willing vessel to be used by you however you see fit for your glory. Amen.